if you have your Bibles, guys, let's turn back to uh, the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter. This 13th chapter of the book of Hebrew has some rich, rich, rich principles that we should uh, seek to encompass in our own individual lives. Are y'all tracking with me today? It has some rich, rich uh, principles that will helpfully hope us, help hope us, that the old folks used to say, hope me. Y'all remember that? Hope me. They mean help me. Uh, but maybe there are some things that can help us do what's right. Can I get a witness? All right, so we're talking about this 13th chapter because this 13th chapter uh, gives us some evidences of faith being genuine in our life because we realize and we know that without God moving and helping us, we can't do any of this stuff. In the uh, 11th chapter, we told you the writer gives some examples of faith in that 11th chapter. In the 12th chapter, he gave some encouragements to faith. And in this last chapter, he gives us some evidences of faith that should appear in our lives if we are really walking by faith and not by sight. If we are really walking by faith, these are some things that should be evident in our life. So in this 13th chapter, let's look, if you will, uh, back at verse number. We'll pick back up at verse number five. Go to verse number five with me. As we've been talking about evidences of faith. Now, we, we've been unpacking this first one, which we've uh, finished this up, pretty much finished up last week. It's talking about enjoying your spiritual fellowships. So let's go to verse number five. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Read that out loud on purpose. Let's read. Don't love money. It didn't say you can't like it. It didn't say you can't want to have it because all of us need money to live, right? Nothing wrong with trying to work and invest to, to accumulate resources so we can provide for our families and so that we can be a blessing to others. I told you on last week, it, you can't bless somebody else if you don't have anything. Right. So but it says don't love money because the love of money is the root of all we right. But be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never do what? Abandon you. Look at verse six with me. It says so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Now, I'm going to say this and I hope you all hear me carefully. Too many Christians, I think, are afraid of what people will do to them. Too many people are afraid to really live this faith walk out because they are afraid of what relatives are going to say, what loved ones are going to say. But God has called us to be purveyors of gospel truth. God has called us to manifest this word in our individual lives. All right? So that others can see the love of God operating in us. Now, we told you, as we talked about enjoying spiritual fellowship, we talked about, number one, brotherly love should be exhibited, right? You remember that, brotherly love? We talked about hospitality, amen, hospitality, inviting somebody to your table, hospitality. We talked about what? What else? What else? Y'all remember? Helping the imprisoned and the mistreated, correct? And what else did we talk about? Puritan marriage, Amen. I think I scared some of y'all last week on that. But Puritan marriage is very important. And then lastly, contentment. Contentment. Paul, the apostle Paul, who wrote uh, a passage, and I want to go to it right quick, in Philippians, the fourth chapter, and just touch on this contentment, then we're going to go to this next one, submitting to spiritual leadership, so we can unpack some of that. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter number four, and let's look at verse number 10. Philippians chapter number four, verse number 10. 
All right, Philippians 4, verse number 10. The text says this. Paul is writing, and mind you, he's writing from a prison cell. The thing I like about Paul is, especially when you look at this letter to the church at Philippi, Paul was so focused and so dialed in on his anointing and his calling that he did not allow anything to get him off track, even being in jail. Falsely accused, by the way. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Next verse, let's go. It says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, how many of y'all have learned that lesson? How many of y'all have learned that lesson? To be content with whatever I have. That doesn't mean that you got to stay where you are. Can I get a witness? But to learn how to be content where you are, whatever stage in life you are, economically, relationally, learn how to be content. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Notice the context. He's talking about this church that began to sow into his ministry, to sow in his life again. He said, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Question to you today is, if you lost everything right now, if you lost your house, had to go to an apartment. If you lost your car, God forbid, and had to catch the city bus, could you still make it? Paul says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. If you're used to eating caviar and steaks, but not you got to go to pork and beans and rice. Can you survive on pork and beans and rice? Can you survive on buttermilk and cornbread? I know my sister over here can talk to me a little bit. Anybody know anything about buttermilk and cornbread? Oh, uh, well, I, I never eat it. I saw my dad eating, but I, I just couldn't buttermilk and cornbread work for me. But whatever it is, can you, can you still be content? Content means resting in Jesus. See, I am afraid that too many of us as believers have allowed the, 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 the issues of life and our circumstances and where we are materially and where we are relational with people to steal our joy. And we got to get back to the point to where we recognize what the old folks said. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. When I learn how to still have joy, even when I'm having to eat pork and beans and rice, I'm going to be all right. Watch this now. I know how to live up almost nothing or with everything. I have learned. He said, I've learned. I've learned. I've learned. He, he, he wasn't always there. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with what? Or with little. Next verse, let's read. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can get by with little. I can walk in abundance. And when I get abundance, my head doesn't blow up. Because I understand that it was the Lord who gave me whatever I have. And so I can't get so, 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 so narcissistic in my mindset that I believe that it's all about me and my skill sets and my ability that allowed me to get to where I am now in life. Paul, Paul I, love, I love the Apostle Paul's intense focus. He says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, though, to be content. For I can do everything through Christ who does what? Keep reading. Let's go. He says, uh, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. He says this, as you know, the Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first 
brought you the good news and then traveled from Mas- travel on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Let's keep going. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Paul says, I'm not bragging on you and telling you that was great that you did it so you can give me some more stuff. He says, rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. How many know when you sow into the lives of others, he that give it to the poor, the Bible says, look, lend it to the Lord. We said we found it out on last week and we said God has a perfect credit rating. He's never not paid his debt. Can I get a witness? Watch this. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Let's keep going. At the moment, I have at the moment I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is what? Acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, we're stopping there. It says, now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Paul was in jail. And yet the church at Philippi had sent to his, to, to supply his needs. And not only are they doing it now, but they had did it before. So it is correct and it's right to support the man of God who's doing the will of God. Right? So Paul, Paul commends him. But the thing I want you to not miss in this particular passage is Paul learned contentment. He learned how to not wig out when things were not going exactly the way go. He learned how to not to get depressed and all upset and been out of shape simply because things didn't work out the way he wanted them to. Learn how to be content and rest in Jesus. Now let's get to this next point. Second thing we're talking about is submitting to spiritual leadership. We're talking about evidences, four evidences that should be in our lives if we are actually manifesting God's truth. Four evidences of faith that should be prevalent in our life if we're really living out God's truth. Let's go to Hebrews 13, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 9, and we'll skip down to verse number 17. We'll, we'll come back and walk some of this out. Submitting to spiritual leadership. All right, now again, Hebrews 13, verse number 7. It says, what? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God, Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Verse number nine. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. Now, again, Understand this, he's writing to Hebrew Christians who had come out of Judaism and now are walking in Christianity. And under Judaism, they had certain dietary restrictions uh, about not eating certain meats and that type thing because God was just kind of bringing them up to the point of salvation in Christ Jesus. But he says, now that you're in Christ, these rules about food, certain foods to eat and not eat, those that were clean and unclean, he says, that's no longer valid. You're under new dispensation now. Dispensation is a fancy word that means that God dealt with mankind in different ways at different seasons in history. So now that we're under the dispensation of grace, food, as far as a way to obtain righteousness and right standing before God, is not valid. Okay, watch this. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food which don't help those 
who what? Who followed him? Verse number 17 with me right quick. Come on, let's move. It says this. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Let's let's unpack. So, So the first evidence of our faith being put into action, as we said, show me the evidence. The first thing is we'll be enjoying spiritual fellowship. And those things that we unpacked under there should be prevalent in our lives. Hospitality, brotherly love, doing right by those who have been mistreated and those who are incarcerated for their faith. Because at this time, remember, these people were being jailed because they named the name of Christ. All right. Uh, Purity in marriage and contentment. So now he gets into the second thing is submitting to spiritual leadership. Now, the Greek words for obey and submit mean to obey and submit. Now, watch this. There is a slight difference in the words. The difference, if any, is between the two words. The the difference in these two words is that is that obedience implies going along with the directions or the commands or the instruction that were given to you, whereas submission involves your attitude while you're doing that. All right. How many of you can be obedient and not submissive? As we dissect the difference between the two. In other words, I've always told you that, that it's best to be obedient even if your attitude is not where it needs to be. But, but where we really get into God is when we start doing what God told us to do and our attitude conforms with God's plan and purpose for our life. But, but make no mistake about it, I'm going to be obedient even with my attitude got to catch up. But where I'm really... As they say, cooking with grease, if I'm being obedient and I'm being submissive all at the same time. Are y'all track with me today? So you can obey outwardly while burning with anger on the inside. How many of y'all, when your parents, when you were younger, made you do something and you knew you had to do it or else? But while you were doing it, what was your attitude like? Something simple as washing the dishes. How many of y'all hated washing dishes? Well, you messed the plate up. Why are you hating washing dishes? Somebody, if you don't, if nobody washes dishes, guess what's going to happen? The sink is going to be full of dirty dishes. And the next time you get ready to, to, to cook or to, to eat, then you don't have clean dishes to eat off of. But, but, but sometimes we'll do stuff and our attitude while we're doing it is not right. And I got... Listen, I need you to understand something. God loves obedience, but he also loves submission. And while I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm doing it with the right reason. Because God is always concerned about the why behind your what. He's always concerned about why you are doing what you're doing. Because the why gets to the heart of the matter. God is looking at our hearts. Can I get fired witnesses up in here? So, so, so you can obey outwardly by burning with anger on the inside, but you aren't submitting. Submission implies a sweet spirit of cooperation that stems from a position of trust. Everybody say trust. You trust that the leaders have your best interest at heart, and so you move with them in following the vision of the house. So, so just kind of jot these down. What type of spiritual leaders should we follow? What type of spiritual leaders should we follow? Go back to 
Hebrews 13. And this is not on your notes, but just kind of jot these down. Hebrews 13. And get back to verse number 7 with me right quick. Hebrews 13, verse number 7. Submitting to spiritual leadership, that's critically important because God is watching how you do church. I don't even want to say do church. God is watching how you do life. Because many of us have been duped into thinking that if I just do church good, then I'm okay with God. God says, I want to be a part of your life every day, 24-7. Watch what he says. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. So what type of spiritual leaders should we follow? Because I think we can readily agree that everybody that's in, quote, spiritual leadership is not leading the right way. Can we agree? There are some abusive spiritual leaders. There are some people in spiritual leadership position that have no business whatsoever being there. So what type of spiritual leaders should we follow? Well, first of all, those who, according to this verse, number one, speak the word of God. Everybody say, speak the word of God. Go with me to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verse number one. 2 Timothy, chapter number four, and we're going to look at, start reading at verse number one. 2 Timothy, chapter four, verse number one. Paul is writing here. To his young protege in the ministry, his young son in the ministry by the name of Timothy. And watch what he tells Timothy in his effort to encourage Timothy in his spiritual leadership. Watch this now. Watch this. Let's let's read. Y'all read it? Read. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Look at what he tells Timothy. Preach. The word of God be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with what? Good teaching. I got to read that again. Come on. Patiently do what? How many of y'all know that there are going to be times when you are, uh, if if you're a part of a, a fellowship of believers, a group of authentic community of believers who come together as a local church congregation, there are going to be some times where correction has to come. My question to you is, are you too proud to be corrected? I think I'll say it again. My question to you is, are you too proud to be corrected? He says, Paul tells Timothy, a young, shy pastor, he says, patiently correct. Everybody say patiently. There's a way to correct, and it should be done with patience. Right? Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Let's keep moving, guys. Verse number three, let's go. For a time, and we're in this time right now, I would submit, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. We're in that season now, guys. We're in the season now where people don't want solid Bible expository preaching. They want to hear what soothes their And God says, it's time for us. If we're going to really, really, really have kingdom impact, we got to be willing to, to receive wholesome gospel teaching. For a time has come when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Timmy, keep reading. Let's go. It says what? They will reject the truth and chase after myths. 
But you should. Now, here's Paul. Don't forget, he's talking to whom? Timothy, his young son in the ministry, who's pastoring a church. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Stop right there. I submit to you that Christianity in Christianity today, there are many pastors and spiritual leaders who are afraid of being fired so they won't preach naked gospel truth. Now, we ought to preach the truth in love, mind you, not in, in, in a spirit of hate and condemnation, but preach the truth in love. Whatever subject the Bible talks about, I'm going to teach about it. And the Bible speaks on a wide variety of issues. And one of the things that we suffer from as a, as a, as a body of believers here in America is that people only want to touch on certain things. And God deals with all of our mess. I said God in his word talks about all of our junk that he wants to correct. And make no mistake about it, every single one of us in this place has some junk that God wants to clean up. All right? Now, there's no excuse to keep waddling your junk. I'm just saying that all of us got some stuff. And for those who don't think you got some stuff, that's a real problem right there. Because sometimes our pride will get in the way and make us think that we're okay when God says you're not quite okay. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Now, when you preach truth and you talk truth, some people are not going to like it. Especially when it hits where they're living, change the way they're living. Or they want to change their philosophy. But listen to me carefully. I refuse, I told y'all this before, I refuse to go before the beam of judgment seat of Christ and have God dress me down because I wouldn't challenge you to do the truth of God's word. Amen. So that's the kind of pastor I am, just in case you won't want, you wonder. Okay? I love you, but I love you to speak the truth to you. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Fully carry it out. Next verse. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is what? The time of my death is what? Verse 7, I have what? Fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I have remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who what? Eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now, this is Paul encouraging Timothy. So he's telling him, speak the word of God. So follow spiritual leaders who preach sound biblical doctrine, who will open up the book, begin to exegete the text, to tell you who to what, who, who's writing, who's he writing to, what's the scenario, and what is this saying, and what does this mean for my life today? Because the word of God addresses all of our issues. Amen? So number one, you want to follow spiritual leaders who speak the word of God. Number two, you want to follow spiritual leaders who provide an example of living by faith. Go back to Philippians 4 and look at verse number 9. Back up to verse number 9. Who provide an example of living by faith. Your spiritual leadership should be modeling what they're teaching you. Now, no spiritual leader is perfect. Understand that. But he shouldn't have a raggedy, stinky lifestyle. 
What do I mean by raggedy, stinky lifestyle? When, when, when there is a pattern of sin that's pervasive in the man and woman of God's life, and, and it's not like it's a struggle, it's something just they do. They're known for that. Those are the kind of spiritual leaders you don't want to find yourself trying to follow. Follow those who provide an example of living by faith. Look at Philippians 4 and 9. says this, ready to read. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Now, I got, I got, I got a park here. And I want to challenge you. Again, remember, there are some things that I've been asking you to do. My question to you is, are you just sitting there listening or are you making up your mind to try to go and do some of this stuff? Now, you know if you made a serious effort or not, and God knows. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be what? Will be with you. So we want to, first of all, follow spiritual leaders who speak the word of God. Secondly, who provide an example of living by faith. In other words, and they're just talking about it, but they're doing this stuff. And number three, we want to follow spiritual leaders who demonstrate Christian maturity in their conduct. Christian maturity in their conduct. Now, go with me right quick to Luke chapter number nine. Demonstrate Christian maturity in their conduct. And in this, when you look at... Uh, this verse, uh, well, in Hebrews 13, in the seven, verses 7 through 9, we see, uh, well, back up. When Paul was talking about what followed him as he's following Christ, uh, he was talking about modeling what I'm going to call, and you heard me use the term before, servant leadership. Everybody say servant leadership. Now, servant leadership was not something that was new because Jesus had taught it to his disciples, right? And trust me, they needed to be taught and encouraged and rebuked. Watch these rascals. Go to Luke the ninth chapter. Look at verse number 46 with me. Luke chapter number 9, verse number 46. Paul was talking about servant leadership, and it was something that Jesus had taught his disciples and wanted all of us to model. Everybody say servant leadership. Luke chapter number 9, and we look at verse number 46. Let's go. Luke 9, 46 says what? Then his disciples... Begin what? Arguing about which of them was the greatest. Here we go. Here these boys are that Jesus called to follow him. And they're walking with him. They're doing life with him. But they're not where they need to be in order to carry on the mission of the cross once Jesus goes back to heaven. But the but the good part about this, I love it, that Jesus did, didn't just do life with those who were doing everything perfectly. He, he called these, these, this eclectic group of individuals, those who they highly thought of as it relates to societal norms, or they, they were not the richest or the brightest or the, who went to the best seminaries. He called fishermen, carpenters, tax collectors, and those who were everyday normal people to come and follow him. But now watch it. They had some issues. Everybody said they had some issues. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, do you have some issues? All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. They should have said yes. Their issue may not be your issue, but it is an issue. Now watch this, though. Watch this. Can we, can we, can we, can we flow through this real quickly? Text says this. In, uh, 
verse number, let's get back to verse number, what did I tell you? I go verse number 46 as well. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. Next verse. But Jesus knew their thoughts. Look at me. I need you to look me in the eye. Jesus knows what you're thinking right now. Oh, it, yes, you. Yes, you. he knows exactly what you're thinking right now. So, so I need about at least 15 of y'all to repent right now <laughs> for what you're thinking. He knows exactly what you're thinking. Watch it. Man, Jesus, Jesus is so cold. That's a 1970s term. He was cold. Y'all know what that means? Anybody? Can, 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 you know what that means? He was cold. <laughs> back up, back up. Watch this, guys. I got to move. My time is running. It says, then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. Now, we're talking about servant leadership and how Jesus has to teach these guys because servant leadership is not natural uh, for us. We have to learn how to submit to God's will. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. And the text says what? Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who what? Sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the what? Wow. Whoever is the what? Least among you is the what? Greatest. Look at verse number 49. Now they were arguing about who's the... Jesus knew their thoughts. They didn't really come and tell Jesus. As a matter of fact, one, in one trailer, he says Jesus asked them what they were talking about, but they, they, they were too ashamed to tell him what they were arguing about. You ever been too ashamed to tell the Lord, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, Lord. I got jealous of, of this person over here because they were doing this, and I thought they picked over me. And, I, and Lord, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being that immature to start comparing myself to somebody else. God forgive me. I tell people all the time, and y'all hear me say this. Listen, uh, one of the things I, I thank God for is, is, is clear mind as it relates to the body of Christ as a whole. I don't want this church to ever get into a competition with any other church. If, if the Lord is working through a church to get people saved and they're growing faster than we are, more power to them. We're on the same doggone team. Are y'all with me? So, 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 not listen. I don't listen. If if a church is doing well, bless God Almighty. Keep on doing well. John said to Jesus. Now here is these boys. He's called to walk with them again. He's 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 having to teach them about servant leadership. Watch this. He says. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he's not in our group. (laughs) Look at these dudes. They were casting out demons. And y'all do know God has given you the power with the Holy Spirit to cast out demons, don't you? And how many of y'all know demons are real? The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, power, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All those are different classifications of demonic spirit. Some of y'all are trying to deal with a person, but you need to be dealing with the spirit behind the person. And you can keep dealing with that person all day long, but until you deal with that spirit, with the power of the Holy Ghost, it ain't coming out. Demons are real. Angels are real. And we better start acting like we know how to fight them. 
Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. He doesn't belong to our church. He's not a member of our church, and, and, and they're doing that, and I, I just don't, you know, they think they're something. They, think, they just think they're something. Wait, 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 where does that come from? Listen to what Jesus told him. Gosh, my time is moving. Watch this. But Jesus says, don't stop him. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Mm. Now, they want to stop the guy because he wasn't part of that group. Now, listen. I'm telling you, Jesus had to deal with these, their mindset because they didn't quite understand the, the principle of servant leadership. They wanted to know who's going to be the greatest. Can we keep reading? Let's keep reading. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now watch this. He stood ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. He was a Jew on his way to Jerusalem, passing through Samaritan territory. I'll give you some history on that. When, when James and John saw this, when these boys who Jesus had called to walk with him to be his apostles saw that, that they were rejected because they sent them ahead to, to get some rooms, to, get, to, to find a place to stay. But the text says, uh, when James and John saw this, the people of the village did not welcome them. Verse number 53, Jesus, because he was on his way to Jerusalem, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, let us pray. Is that what they said? Look what these boys said. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? This is the mindset that Jesus is having to deal with. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on to another village. Now watch, can I park on this for a second? See, we need spiritual leaders who will demonstrate Christian maturity in their conduct. Now, let me get some history about why this is so intriguing to me. After Assyria invaded Israel, which the northern kingdom, and they resettled it with their own people, there was a mixed race that developed, that became known as Samaritan. In other words, after the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom, they began to interpopulate and they began to have relations with Jewish people. And so out of that, you had biracial people now. Can I talk to some of y'all up in here? They had, you had biracial people now. Samaritan were half Jew and half Gentile. Can I get a witness? And quote, the, the, the purebred Jews, those who were fully Jewish, uh, hated the half-breeds or the biracial folks. And the biracial Samaritans, in turn, hated the Jews. So, 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 so many tensions arose between these two people. Even Jewish travelers between Galilee and southern Judea would often walk all the way around Samarian territory to keep from having to go through there. To keep from having to deal with those biracial folks, half Jew and half Gentile. Jesus, however, didn't hold those kind of prejudices. He didn't hold that kind of racism. So he was going to go through Samaria. He sent his messengers ahead to get some rooms, a place to stay in a Samaritan village. But the village refused to welcome them. Why? Because they were Jewish 
Are you listening to me today? I'm going to tell you all something. Jesus, again, he was cold. Everybody say he was cold. But there's lessons to be learned because that's why they didn't want that. Now, I, I, I surmise as I use my, I don't even have to surmise it because there was, there was intense hatred there. I wonder if it had been a Jewish village with these boys that have said, let's call down fire from heaven and burn them up. It's easy to say that when it's somebody who you don't like or you hate. So Jesus had to deal with their hearts and get them to understand what servant leadership was all about. Look, 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 at, look at Luke 9, look at verse 54 with me right quick. Get back to 54. Again, when, when, it says, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? They didn't want to stop. No, previously in his teaching, if you go back to this fifth verse, Jesus told them, when you go to a place and people don't receive you, shake the dust from your feet and keep moving. But they forgot all about that, didn't they? They want to bring some folks up. And I believe a lot of that stemmed from their, from their hatred toward these biracial folks and these Samaritans. Yeah, yeah. See, people don't like to preach this kind of gospel, but, uh, but I need you to understand that when you, as a born-again believer, hate somebody because of their ethnicity, you are out of the will of God, and you better check and see if you're really saved. Because how can you love God who you've never seen and hate your brother who's living right beside you every day. Are y'all track with me today? So, 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 uh, when when others reject or scorn us, you know, you, you, you may feel like retaliating, but we got to remember that judgment belongs to God, and we must not expect Him to use His power to carry out our personal vendettas. You know, on, on this last this past Monday, uh, we uh, we celebrate. Uh, up there, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And how many of y'all, how many of y'all uh, think if King was alive today, you could follow him as a spiritual leader? Let me see, the hand, let me see your hands right quick. Just raise your hand. You think you could follow King? Okay. How many of y'all think you couldn't follow him? And I know it's, it, I know I put you on the spot when I said that because you're like, I'm not raising my hand. That would be so, so inappropriate. But, but let me tell you something. See, many of y'all sit back and we say that today. But there were a lot of folks who didn't follow King and thought that his style of trying to solve a problem was not the way to do it. As a matter of fact, uh, King preached a sermon back in 1957, November 17. It's called Love and it, 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 it was called uh, um, Loving Your Enemies. And, and this, I want you to listen to what he said, because, see, some 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 people say they want to follow Jesus, but they, they want to follow him on his terms. And, and what King said in the midst of hatred that was coming against him and what God had anointed and ordained for him to do, he preached this message, loving your enemy. He says, loving your enemies is something that, uh, again, is so basic to his philosophical and, te- and theological orientation, which was the idea that love is God's appointed way to deal with mankind. He said that, that loving... King didn't see loving your enemies as an option, something that Christians had a choice as to whether or not they would do. He believed that followers of Jesus had both a Christian and a moral responsibility to love their enemies. And in that sermon, he addressed both why and how. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but one reason he said was, is we got to love our enemies rather than hate them. He says, number one, that hate 
He says hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. So if you hating because somebody hating you, then, then you're going to only intensify hate in the universe. The second reason why he says we got to love our enemies from a theological standpoint and from a, from, a, from, a, from a civil and spiritual standpoint, he says this. He says another reason why you should love your enemies uh, is because hate distorts the personality of the hater. Hate distorts the personality of the one who's doing the hating. And the third, and I, again, I, I'll ch- go, go look up and read the whole, the whole message because it was a powerful message. The third reason why he says this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individual. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. So he says, it has love a redemptive power. If you're trying to change people, you can't change people by hating people. So I would submit to y'all that many of y'all sitting here today wouldn't be able to follow him because he says, no, we're not going to kill folks. We're going to love the hell out of them. He didn't say it quite that way, but you don't understand what I'm saying. So many of y'all be like, no, no, no. And there were a lot of people who would not follow him because he was following his spiritual focus. He was following his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who talked about servant leadership, who talked about loving others instead of hating others. Amen? Now, when you think about Jesus, who's the great leader, talking about spiritual leaders, it's interesting that Jesus never reprimanded his disciples for wanting to be great. Let me say it again. He, I don't find what he reprimanded them for wanting to be great. Instead, he re- redefined the terms of greatness and pointed his disciples in another direction entirely. He basically told them, you can be leaders, but you must take the route of sacrifice, suffering, and service. Everybody say sacrifice, suffering, and service. Go, go into Hebrews 13 and 17 right quick. So it wasn't wrong to want to be great, but let's redefine what great means. Great means that I'm going to become a servant. Jesus even modeled that at the Last Supper. Y'all remember this? I told you, Jesus, Jesus did a lot of ministry around the table. Everybody say, at the table. And, and after having ate with his disciples, his apostles, he got up from the table, girded himself with a cloth, and stooped down and began to wash their feet. A task that was normally reserved for lowly servants. The lowest servant in the house would wash travelers' feet. But here we have the master, the king of kings, the lord of lords, getting up from the table, stooping down to wash some nasty feet. What was he doing? He was modeling for them what servant leadership looks like. If you want to be great, you got to learn how to serve. I'm going to admit this to you publicly. I sometimes maybe go overboard when it comes to people and titles because I've seen people chase titles and positions and, and it's all about the title and the position. And I got I, I, I have to overcorrect. I'm, I just I hate when people chase titles and positions and not the mission. That's why you never you, you never hear me emphasizing titles. Now, nothing wrong with your know, uh, you know, authority in the house of the Lord and, and having titles, but I'm just telling you, I'm not the one who's going to be tripping about about 
well, am, am I, do I have this title? Do I have this talent? Or what you going to call me? I'm calling you by your name. <laughs> Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is proper place for respect for those in positions of authority, but don't trip on that. When you learn how to serve, when you have servant leadership at the heart of the matter, then titles become a non-issue because you don't have to have a title to serve. All right, so I, I, I understand. I got I to stop overcorrecting. All right? Say, so help him, Lord. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verse number 17. Are you there with me? So, so again, servant leadership is really important. All right, so watch what he says here. Now, again, you, you, you got to understand this. Now, whatever ministry that you're a part of, if you're a member of this church or you're visiting or you're listening via live stream, if you are part of a local church assembly, it is your responsibility to follow your spiritual leadership as they lead you in the things of God. Can I say it again? If you are going to be a part of a local assembly, but you refuse to do what your spiritual leadership tells you, then God is going to hold you accountable. He's going to hold me accountable. He's going to hold all of us accountable when we, when we refuse to submit to the authority of the house that we're up under, that we said the Holy Spirit led us to. Okay? And let me say this. You don't have to like every decision that your spiritual leadership makes. But you have a responsibility if you're going to be there. to. As long as your spiritual leadership is not telling you something that goes against the word of God. If I tell you something that's against God's word, you're under no obligation to follow that. That's why I try to take great pains to unpack the scripture to show you what the word says. Because I've told you, and I'm going to tell you again, sometimes we don't know what we are until we're confronted with being obedient to what the word of God tells us to do. And now when we hear the word of God on that issue and we don't want to do it, now it tells us what's in our heart. Because we've been fooling ourselves. How many of y'all know it's easy to fool ourselves? It's easy to think that we're okay in an area when we're really not okay in that area. But when the word of God confronts us and that thing rises up on it, you know what you're feeling better than I do. And then when, when, I, when I preach it, when I give it to you, then now all of a sudden, you're feeling a certain sort of way and you don't want to move on it, it's because something in your heart you hadn't dealt with. Okay? And watch the texture. Lord Jesus. So, don't forget these. Again, what type of spiritual leaders should we follow? Those who speak the word of God, those who provide an example of living by faith, and those who demonstrate Christian maturity in their conduct. Hebrews 13, verse number 17. Let's look at it together. Y'all there? Can we read it? Can we, can we make a conscious? Now, see, here, here's, here's, here's obedience in action right now. Watch this. All right. Can we read this together? Now, watch this. I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you an example of, of a prideful mindset because right, right now, if, if I say, can we read this together? You're, you're in this audience, and now we are, we are, you're, you're, you're under, under the authority of the house at the time. I'm the one who got the mic, right? I'm the one that God, God called me to pastor. I didn't want to pastor this church. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, that was not on one of my list of goals to pastor a church. I was content being a full gospel businessman. I was going to be a banker. I was going to try to run me a bank one day. And I was okay with that. I had no, it was not in my, in my goals to become a pastor of a church. But God arrested my heart one day. At the ripe old age of 25. Can you believe that? 
y'all called me at 25 years of age, hadn't been called to preach, but less than a year, and y'all called me the pastor. Everybody said, make it make sense. You can't. You can't. You can't make it make sense. Because when God is doing the things, and I've been here 30 years, when God is doing the thing, oftentimes it don't make sense. But faith don't have to make sense to be real. And so I'm, I'm trying to encourage some of y'all out there to, to get into your faith walk and stop, stop saying what you can't do and what, and what people won't let you do and start walking by faith, not by sight. Stop talking negative in what you cannot accomplish because in Christ Jesus, when you have faith in God, man, I've seen him do some marvelous things. All right, so it didn't make sense. Some people talked about y'all. See the hands of those that were here when I was first called to pastor. Let me see your hands right quick. Lift them right quick. We got one, two, three, four, five. Five people, you were with me, you were married to me, so you had to come. <laughs> Six people, no, five people who were here. This church is changed. Let, let me ask this question, and I got my time is running. How many of y'all have joined this ministry within the last three years? Let me see your hands. Y'all look around, look at, within the last three years. How, let me back up. How many of y'all have joined this ministry within the last five years? Come on, five. Raise them up. See, there's a lot of folks in here that God has brought here. And so as God brings people into the body with giftings and and, and resources and and, and come together for us to do the work of ministry together, we have to be willing and open to receive and to train, develop, so we can go out and do the work of ministry. Guys, let me tell you something. Those original five that are are here, listen, there were folks who were telling you y'all made a bad choice. He's too young. He's only been called a priest. Again, I, I get it. Because if I was there, I probably wouldn't have called me. Not because I was doing anything crazy. It's just that I'm 25. Think about your 25-year-old right now. I'm 25, never passed before. But I was saved. I've been saved a while. And God had been working on me in other areas. And I, all I, can I say the proof is in the pudding? I think it was God. Not I think, I know it was God. Even though I didn't want to do it, God called me to do it. And whenever you can get to that point to where you can let your will be submitted to his will, and then now you not only are obeying, but you are actually submitting, enjoying doing what God told you to do because you understand why God told you to do what he told you to do. And you get to, you get to be a co-laborer together with Christ Jesus. I'm out of time. Can I pick up next week? I'm out of time. You ever hit about it right close? I am out of time. But I ain't out of word. So I'm coming back next week. I'm coming back next week. I'm trying to discipline myself. We're trying to do some new things. I'm trying to discipline myself. But I'm out of time. Every head bowed, every back close. Father, we thank you now and praise you for this privilege and this honor.